Well, many of you should have the Beatitudes memorized by now. If you haven't noticed, we've been reading it every Sunday for about the past five Sundays, and we're going to do that for one more Sunday. As I've said before, um, one of the things that I tell people, if you want to know about the life of Jesus in in a basic way, read the Gospel of Mark, because it's short, and it has the content of his life. It doesn't include the birth narrative, and it and it shuts the door pretty quickly right after the resurrection, but, but it, does, it does have his life there. And then if you want to know about the teachings of Jesus, at least in some encapsulated form, then, you know, I say read the Sermon on the Mount. And again, I've said the reason why it's called the Sermon on the Mount is because in Matthew it says he went up and the disciples, they went away from the people and he went up to a higher place, and the disciples gathered with him there. In, in, in Luke, in a similar section, it's called the Sermon on the Plain, because it says he went down to a level place, and that's where he taught his disciples. And so we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount and dealing with some of the difficult passages there, but the Beatitudes, you know, sort of set the stage for, the, for this whole section. And we don't, we don't know and we, don't, and we actually don't think as we read through Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, it's pretty doubtful that Jesus just rolled out all these teachings one after the other, you know, when the disciples were sitting there. But more than likely what happened was these are some of the core teachings that he had been given and they were passed on and passed on. And so when Matthew's getting ready to write his gospel, you know, he knew that there were times when they had gone up to be by themselves. And so he, he said that and he put these all together And I think it's just really good. So it really begins in chapter 5, and then it goes up to chapter 8. And really the last last part of chapter 7 is this, what I taught the kids today, was about the house built on rock or the house built on sand. And and that it is about, if you listen to my teachings and you do what I say, then you are like one who builds their house on rock. So... So if you think about the Beatitudes at the beginning and that teaching at the end, and then you, sort of, you read through this, it'll super challenge you because, it's, because basically I'm just being convinced again and again and again as we walk through this that Jesus' teachings are, are really in some ways like backwards to what we think we're supposed to do a lot of the time. I mean, it, or, or inside out is what I like to, like to say. So this is... In chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 6, and, and then and to the end of chapter 6, next week I'm going to deal with the middle of chapter 6, which is all about how to pray. So listen to what Jesus has to say here. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. 
But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here ends the reading. Well, we Presbyterians don't have any problem with not practicing our piety before others. Heck, most of us don't practice any piety whatsoever. Oh, come on, that was funny. (laughs) We're not called the frozen chosen for nothing, right? I mean, because I think sometimes we take this, we take our puritanical forefathers and foremothers pretty seriously. Like, they 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 were pretty dead serious about things right? About working hard, about being very plain and and praying in in a very certain way and having worship in a very certain way. And some of our our Presbyterian forefathers and foremothers were very, I mean, this kind of worship service for even for many of our own tribe right now is still way too loud, way too joyful, way not serious enough. And so sometimes as I, as I read through this, I thought, well, how, what, what am I supposed to be preaching to our people? And then I thought about, well, where is it that we sort of prance about in front of others today? I mean, we don't really have any modern technological vehicles at our disposal 24 hours a day, seven days a week, where we can prance our lives before other people, right? I mean, it's pretty hard to get our message out there today, right? Just think about your Facebook feed, your Instagram, whatever, and and the kinds of things that you see there the kinds of things we all post there and what we're sort of prancing up in front of people. Because for some people, it is, it's not necessarily about piety, but it is about, you know, oh, well, this is my, this is my accountability page. So I'm going to make sure that I put out on my Instagram and my Facebook or whatever, or tweet, you know, that, that I meditated for my 10 minutes today, because this is my accountability thing. Maybe that works. But what is it about? Why do we do all that? I think that the Beatitudes, the the Sermon on the Mount, there's so much here that reminds us that God does not look at the outer person. God does not care about your trip to Barbados, right? And how pretty everything looks. God does not care about your new golf club, your new dress, your score on the SAT, you know, all that stuff that we want to post out there. What God is looking at is God is looking at your heart 
and your soul. And the intentions that we have whenever it is that we do things. And how it works itself out. Beware of practicing your piety before others. Jesus isn't saying, don't, not don't pray, not don't fast, not don't give alms. But when you do these things, do them for the glory of God. Do them for the right reasons, not to get noticed by others. What's interesting is that in here, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving in Jewish tradition were sort of three core spiritual practices. These were things that, that were encouraged in the Old Testament, maybe not mandated, but encouraged in the Old Testament, but in, in some places mandated, you know, you're going to fast during this time, during this festival, and then, and then you'll eat, or you'll eat in a certain way, and then there's always this, this thought of maybe not almsgiving in terms of actually giving money to the poor, But throughout the Old Testament, there is always provision made for those who don't have enough. In the Old Testament, because it was an agricultural time, there was the encouragement not to glean all the way to the edges of your field. Leave some margin there for the poor and the sojourner and the alien among you so that they could come and they could eat they could eat from, from what's left over in your field. So in a sense, there's, a, there's this provision for those who don't have enough. And, and, and so I think that, and that moves into this more of this almsgiving where the, the poor, you, you might give alms to the poor in order to help them through a difficult time. Of course, Paul writes, you know, that, that almsgiving is, is, is really for those who are not able and that, and this is probably where some of this Protestant worth ethic comes from, is that if you're able to work, you're supposed to work for your pay. And we take that to the highest degree here in America, I think. So whenever you give alms, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so they might be praised by others. Uh, as, I've, as I've studied this, I'm not really sure that there were people running around with people trumpeting in front of them. This may have been an allusion to the actual collection of alms at the temple or in places and where those pots may have looked like trumpets. And maybe the noise that they made, you know, that you, you really, as, you, as you, you, know, you brought all your pennies and you, you know, and, and you gave a few bucks, but you made sure everybody knew that you were, you were dropping them in there for a while, perhaps. Again, I think maybe Jesus is a little hyperbole here, but just, but just to remind us that that if you're doing it, if you're doing these things for attention from other people, then you're not doing it for the right reasons. This seems like a pretty simple lesson. And, but he also says that, that that's your reward. If you're, if you're, if you're preening and prancing and, and as we might say, peacocking around, you know, strutting your feathers out there just so that you can get the praise of other people, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. If these are things that are being done to honor God, if, the, if these are the ways, these, the prayer, the fasting, the almsgiving, if these are the ways that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, if the real motivation in your life is self-glorification, for those of us who follow Jesus, Jesus says we're getting it wrong. And we need to check our ego on that all the time because Jesus knows the human heart. Jesus knows the human soul. Jesus knows the human mind that we like attention. 
And that oftentimes, you know, we want that adoration, we want that praise, and we will do certain things and put ourselves in certain places in order to get that. And he doesn't condemn us for us, but he says, but that's your reward. So if, if you're seeking to glorify God, then these things ought to be done in a different way. Hypocrites here, you know, of course, hypocrites get a bad name, but hypocrites in the Greek, that used to just mean actor, right? One who wears a mask, one who acts as someone else. Of course, in our day and age, a hypocrite, you know, Christians get called hypocrites all the time because we come in church and we put on our best face and then we go out and we treat people horribly. We don't, our, you know, we don't put our money where our mouth is. Those kinds of things. But one who performs, I think that's an interesting thing for hypocrites. One who performs. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand in synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In Isaiah 29, 13, it says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Again, God does not judge by the exterior appearance or by, by what it looks like we're doing, but by what is happening inside of us and how that comes out of us. Jesus would say it this way, it's not what goes in that defiles, but it's what comes out. It's a lot of the matter of the heart and the mind and the soul and how all of that works together and what our motivation is. Whenever you fast... What's interesting is that this is the only place in the New Testament where fasting is taught. Fasting, in, you know, in the Old Testament, there's lots of places where it talks about that they consecrated a fast or they blew a trumpet for a fast and they, they, they did all this. But in the New Testament, there's even a place where it talks about, well, when Jesus is with us, there's no, there's no place for fasting. We should be celebrating. We should be, we should be gorging ourselves at the table. We should, be, we should be sharing in this great feast, Right? But there are still Christian traditions where, where we might, during certain times of the year, say during Lent or during Advent, where we, we might fast or we, or we might give something up because it changes our relationship with material things, whether it's food, the provision of God that way, or with money or with those kinds of things. And I think that, that all of these, almsgiving and fasting, they're in some ways about our relationship to material things because when you give alms to someone else, when you, when you give away some of your hard-earned money, you're changing your relationship with it. It is a call for us to change our relationship to those material things in our lives and to come into a position of understanding our dependence upon God and how it could be us on the receiving end of those alms one day. And wouldn't we be overjoyed if there were someone who, because of their inner life, 
was freely giving those alms, not for show. But when you fast, put oil on your head. Basically, again, it's don't, don't be showing off. And so I don't know, well, I, I'll, I'll go back. And in this culture, in an honor-shame culture, back in the Middle East, it is, it's so much about appearance, how things look. Because you've got to keep up your honor. And so many people, that's what they did. They gave alms and they did it publicly because that gave their family honor. Because if you weren't seen giving, then maybe that brought shame upon you. And Jesus said, that's just, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. And so we can get manipulated into sort of that honor, shame culture. I mean, we, we have that happening online now. We have people who shame others online and they and it causes all kinds of horrible things psychologically for people it's almost like we've gone back to this honor shame culture in some ways that if I don't look just right you know if I show a picture that isn't just perfect man there's some there's somebody out there who's going to let me have it or if I talk about something you know, there's always those trolls, there's always those people who are out there to come and get me. And so then if I'm living in this thing where what I'm looking for is, is the likes and the adoration of people, I'm in trouble. Because God looks at our hearts. God looks at what is on the inside of us. Well, I don't know what your life is like and I don't know what your inner life is like, but as we've read through these Beatitudes, I've, I've really come to realize again the sinfulness, the, the brokenness that is in me. The angry things that I think that come without being bidden from anywhere. The ways that, that I, you know, because Jesus says if, you, if you're angry with your brother or your sister, you, you may as well, you basically may as well have murdered them. Well, why, why does Jesus draw these, these big things in, in terms of in relationship to it, these, these things that come to the interior life, not just the physical acts? I believe it's because Jesus is always confronting us with God's grace. And the fact that we cannot, by our actions, gain the grace of God. And that we, in a sense, we are always looking for a transaction to assure ourselves that we're okay, that we're all right, that we're all good. And, and the message that Jesus has for us is, you're okay, you're all right, you're all good with me. Now let that change you. Let that call you forward. Let that allow you to confess all of those things that keep you from me. Because you're the one that's keeping you from me. I'm right here with you in whatever you're going through. Through whatever anger you have, through whatever hurt you have, through, through whatever ways you may have been preening and peacocking and, and putting yourself out there and seeking the, the adoration of other people. I'm here for you. You don't need that. And so Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For your God does not look at exterior appearances. Your God looks at your heart. And God's grace sees through all the darkness and the brokenness of that 
and sees you, a beloved child now called to live out in the world from an overflowing life of heart, in prayer and in almsgiving and in fasting. May our piety, our practices of faith, reflect the one who gave himself freely and utterly for our new life. Amen.